I'm going to speak on Jesus, friend of sinners. Um, That's my topic that I've been given for this morning. So we're going to read a passage from Luke, um, and then we're going to unpack it a little bit, and then finally I'm going to share some testimonies um, from my life that will hopefully um, point you to God, point you to Jesus, because that's the point of this series, isn't it? We want to see Jesus lifted high. We want to lift him high. And uh, so hopefully um, the testimonies from my life will will do that. Um, So let's turn to Luke chapter 7 verse 36. I've put it up on the screen but it's tiny so I will read it out and if you've got your own Bible then feel free to read along. I'm reading from the NLT. You might, your translation might be slightly different. Here we go. Uh, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, cancelling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he cancelled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who has forgiven little shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So it's always good, isn't it, when in the worship you feel that God has already spoken the message that you've got. So Mark said that last week, and uh, I think that's really true this week, um, because the, the words that God was speaking during the worship this morning were about um, there's no condemnation, is there? He comes with, to us with compassion, not with condemnation. Um, and I think that's really the main point of this passage. Um, Jesus has come to forgive our sins, whether they're large sins or small sins. The Pharisee in this passage cannot get his head around why Jesus is allowing himself to be touched by a sinful woman. Um, And the Pharisees at the time really, really just could not get their head around this. Uh, uh, Earlier in Luke chapter 5, verse 30, the Pharisees complained bitterly to Jesus, asking, why do you eat and drink with such scum? Or tax collectors in other translations. I like the translation scum because they, like, they really, really felt very, very angry that Jesus was hanging out and associating with, with scum. 
Um, Jesus replies, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have not come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. That's the, that's the main point of this passage, isn't it? That um, the Pharisees expected that Jesus had come to reward their righteousness. They wanted a reward for their own righteousness. But Jesus hasn't come to reward our righteousness. He's come to set the captives free. He's come to heal the sinners and to set us free. So this is, this is the good news of the gospel, isn't it? Right here in this passage. Uh, so there we go, I'll go home now. No, there's more. There's more to unpack. Um, I've got my watch on because last time I was here to preach I got very confused and I was unsure. I stopped abruptly because I wasn't sure what time it was, so I've got my eye on the time. Um, we're going to unpack the context. Um, we're going to look at the two sinners in this passage and then finally we're going to look at how Jesus responded to them in friendship. So let's have a little look. Um, I, when I first read this, There we go. When I first read this passage, um, I had a lot of questions. Um, And the first question I had was, is this the same passage that that happens in the other Gospels? In the other Gospels, there's an account of a woman um, coming to Jesus and anointing him with perfume. Um, I don't think it matters whether this is the same one or different. Some people, when I was doing some research, um, some intellectual people think it's a different woman. All I can say is Jesus must have had very smelly feet because everyone wants to anoint them with perfume all the time. Um, Maybe it's the same, maybe it's not. I don't think it really matters. The question that I had was mostly, how did this woman get into Simon's house? Like, if he doesn't like her and he thinks that she's a sinful woman, what is she doing there? And why, why did he let her in? And, and why does he not just throw her out again? Um, why is she crying? And why, why did Simon neglect to wash Jesus' feet? Like, all of these questions. So let's have a look and use where, when, who, what, and why. Um, I used to be a year six teacher, so if this is a bit year sixy, then I apologise. But um, you know, it's, it works for them, and I think it'll work for us as well. Um, so where? Well, obviously, we're at Simon the Pharisee's house, um, but it's somewhere in Galilee. And at this point, um, Jesus is travelling around the area, preaching in local synagogues, performing different miracles in different villages. So this is before he gets to Jerusalem. He's Uh, itinerant, wandering around, visiting different people's houses, um, preaching in different places. Um, When? Well, it's it's dinner time. Um, He's been invited for dinner, so it's dinner time. Um, Who? The named people are Simon the Pharisee and Jesus. And then there's also the the certain sinful woman Um, who doesn't have a name. Luke probably doesn't name her on on purpose. This is quite a gracious act of Luke's to not give her a name um, because uh, she's she's sinful. People know that she's sinful. She's a certain woman. So probably she was known um, amongst the the crowd, but, um, but this allows her to stay anonymous. Luke isn't naming and shaming here by saying it's that woman that we all know the name of. He is being really gracious. Um, And who else was there? Well, this explains something. Um, William Barclay suggests that it was the custom when a rabbi was known to be having a meal with somebody that everybody could turn up and listen. 
um, they could turn up and listen to the pearls of wisdom which fell from his lips. So there was probably a big crowd. Simon was hosting, but everyone from the village would have been able to come in and listen to Jesus uh, talking and teaching. Um, and so that probably explains why the woman was there and why if there was a big crowd of people there, then Simon was not going to cause a scene and evict this awful woman from his house. Um, he just sat quietly and, and let, let her get on with it because he didn't want to cause a scene. Um, so... What happens? So Jesus comes to dinner, and the woman comes and sits at his feet and anoints his feet, and she's, she's there doing her thing. And this is very confusing, because when I first read this, I wondered how the woman gets to Jesus' feet if he's sitting at a table. Does she sort of crawl under and like bump her head on the table like my eight-year-old does sometimes? Um, and she's behind him as well. So how, how does that work? She's just like massaging his heels somehow. Um, so it was the custom at the time for people to recline when they ate their meals. So he was reclining on a couch, so his feet were sticking off the end of the couch. Um, my husband, when I explained this to my husband, he was very outraged. He was like, no, people sat on the floor in those days. And, but no, I had done my research. His feet were sticking off the end of the couch, and so she's able to come up and kneel behind him and kneel behind the end of the couch where his feet are. Um, so that explains that. Um, she's come prepared. She's arrived in advance. So news of Jesus being at Simon the Pharisee's house has, has spread around the village, and she's come prepared in advance with her perfume. Um, she kneels at his feet, and she starts crying. Why does she start crying? Maybe she's overwhelmed with a sense of her guilt and her shame in the presence of someone she recognizes as holy and pure and righteous. So her tears trickle onto his feet, and then because he's now got wet feet and they're making little rivulets in the dust on his feet, um, she gets her hair out. This is very scandalous. This is very immodest of her. She gets her hair out and she wipes his feet clean with her hair. And then she kisses his feet. You might have thought she'd put the perfume on first and then kiss his feet, but no, she, puts the, she kisses his feet and puts the perfume on. Kissing somebody's feet was a mark of deep respect and reverence, so she's expressing her deep reverence and admiration and love for Jesus. Simon isn't impressed. He, has, he thinks, hmm, if Jesus knew what was going on, he wouldn't be allowing this at all. Um, and Jesus uh, challenges this. He illustrates the concept of gratitude. So in, in front of the crowd, he tells this story. Um, and, then he re and then Jesus rebukes Simon for neglecting the courtesies of hospitality. You know, Jesus says, um, you didn't offer me water to wash my feet. Uh, you didn't greet me with a kiss. And you didn't give me any oil to anoint my head. So these are the sort of courtesies of hospitality that would be expected at the time. Um, but Simon hasn't done that, and Jesus draws a parallel between Simon and the, the sinful woman, um, and then he publicly forgives the woman's sins. So that's the, that's the structure um, of what happens in this passage. Um, but why? Why did Simon invite Jesus to dinner if he wasn't going to receive him warmly, if he was going to neglect 
all these courtesies if he was going to be a cold host. Um, I wonder whether G Simon has invited Jesus to dinner in order to get the measure of him. Because the Pharisees knew. The Pharisees knew the Messiah was coming. They knew. And, but they weren't very happy about what Jesus was saying. And so I wonder whether Simon was testing Jesus and assessing whether to accept him or reject him. Simon represents logic, doesn't he? Reason, intellect. He knows. He reasons. He uses his logic. If Jesus were a prophet, then he would know what kind of woman is touching him. And if he knew what kind of a woman was touching him, then he would do something. He would put a stop to that. And so because Jesus doesn't put a stop to it, then he can't know what kind of woman he's, is touching him, and therefore he can't be a prophet. Problem solved. I use logic to reason myself out of this one. No, thank you. Um, Simon is approaching with his head, isn't he, rather than his heart. He's, his logic is good, but he's starting from a flawed premise. Um, Jesus, we know, hasn't come to reward Simon's righteousness and punish the sinners. Jesus has come to forgive those who know they need to repent. So we've looked at the where and the when and the who and the what and the why of Simon. So let's have a little think about the two sinners that there are in this passage. First of all, there's very obviously the sinful woman. She is, she is the sinful woman. She is immoral. Um, she, in what way was she sinful? Um, well, she is a woman who gets her hair out in public. So maybe she was a woman of loose morals. Uh, maybe she was a prostitute. Um, she's a certain woman. Simon knows that she's a sinner. Um, and so maybe she's, her sin is public knowledge. Maybe she's done something publicly. Everybody knows that she is you know, the person who lives down the road that your children really shouldn't go close to. Um, she's, she's clearly under, she clearly knows. She's clearly aware that uh, she's done something shameful. Um, she's laboring under these strong emotions, this strong feeling of guilt and shame. Um, and she comes, she comes to Jesus prepared. She's pre-purchased her jar of perfume. Um, aware, so she's aware. She's aware of her guilt and her shame. And she comes and kneels. She falls at Jesus' feet. She's on her knees. She comes with a penitent heart. And she comes in faith, doesn't she? Like she understands that other people might reject her, that the people in the crowd there are not going to want to go near her, that other people are condemning her with their, in their thoughts. Um, but she comes in faith that though everybody else there rejects her, Jesus is going to accept her. She comes with a faithful heart. She comes because she can't stay away. Maybe she's already heard Jesus preaching outside somewhere. Maybe she's already heard about him, and she can't keep herself away. No other thoughts of what other people will say or what other people's attitudes are. Nothing will keep her away. She comes because the love of Jesus compels her to pour out her reverence and her gratitude. Her sins are many, so she's been forgiven a lot, and she therefore loves a lot. So she's the most obvious sinner, isn't she, in this passage? Um, but 
Simon the Pharisee is also a sinner, and we know this because he's self-righteous. Yes, yes, Simon is very self-righteous. He's committed the sin of self-righteousness, therefore he's a sinner. Um, but there's a little bit more to it than that. He's quite cold, he's quite calculating. Um, he neglects to welcome Jesus as he should, uh, and he's kind of waiting for Jesus to, to trip himself up. Um, Luke tells us that Simon thinks to himself. This is quite an interesting thing, because Luke doesn't know what Simon was thinking. Um, this is what's known in literary circles uh, as a literary device. It's known as an internal monologue, where the person writing it down tells you what one of the characters is thinking. They don't know what the character's thinking, but they tell you the inner thoughts of the character in order to highlight something about the character. Um, it's, it's a really common device in today's literature. If you're reading a rom-com, which I know you do, Tim, all the time. If you're reading a rom-com, then they'll tell you the internal thoughts of the characters. Um, but it's not something, this is a really unusual technique for Luke to be using. This isn't something that you see in the Bible very much or in the writing of the time. Um, you most often see it in the Old Testament um, where the, the author will show you the internal thoughts of the wicked person. Like in Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart that there is no God. So Luke, by telling us what Simon's thinking to himself inside his own mind, is highlighting for us that Simon is, Simon is really the wicked person here. So it's, uh, Simon doesn't know that he's the wicked person, but really he's the sinful one here. Um, he feels like his sins are few. He thinks that he's a righteous person. So he doesn't have very much to be forgiven for, and so he has little love in his heart. I think that we probably have a tendency to approach Jesus more like Simon than the sinful woman. Even if it's not true of us, we definitely all know somebody, don't we, who says, uh, if Jesus is really who he says he is, then he'll prove it. Um, I have no need to come to Jesus. I'm not a sinner. I'm a good person. Jesus can come and prove himself to me if he wants. Um, we approach Jesus with our heads rather than our hearts. I think that Simon is quite a lot like my dad. When I was preparing for this, I was praying and I was thinking, I, who, like, what is Simon really like? And Simon, Simon is my dad. My dad is, uh, prides himself on never, ever, ever ever having broken the law. Like, my dad would never break the speed limit. My dad would never um, do anything wrong at all. And yet, my dad recently admitted to me that his greatest fear is getting arrested. Like, he literally never, he prides himself on being the most upstanding citizen, and yet he's absolutely terrified. His greatest fear is that one day he'll be arrested. I think that's really interesting because I think that even when we feel or even when we pride ourselves on being a really good person, actually, we're scared. We're scared that one day we'll be found wanting, that we won't measure up, that we'll be found lacking in some way, um, that we'll still fall short. So I think, I think that's really interesting. I think that's uh, a really interesting contrast between the sinful woman who knows that she's a sinner and Simon the Pharisee who... Uh, comes with his head rather than his heart, but who actually is really scared. 
He's really scared that even though he's been really good and he's kept every law and he is the most upstanding, righteous person in his village, he's really scared that Jesus will find him wanting, that he'll fall short. I think that sometimes in some church contexts, we can put pressure on ourselves uh, to be increasingly aware of our sin, can't we? We say, do you know how righteous God is? Do you know he is so righteous he cannot stand even a speck of sin and we are all sinners, we are so broken. Um, but I think this, is, this is, can end up being a form of condemnation. Um, hear me right, because as Hannah said this morning, that you know she came on Friday and she fell on her knees before Jesus and she cried. And sometimes that is absolutely the right response. Sometimes that is absolutely the right response to Jesus. Um, but we can't manufacture that. We can't manufacture that. Um, I was uh, praying with a friend. Um, apparently, I only have one friend, because when I talk to Tim, he always says, is it the really intense friend you're talking about? And it is. It's always my really intense friend. Um, I was praying with my very intense friend, and uh, she, in, she insists on praying. You know, you have to clear the decks when you pray with her, because she says, oh, shall we pray? And you think, oh, no, I've got dinner in the oven. Better go and turn the oven off. Because um, we pray for hours, hours. And, uh, and in this particular time, she's like, I really feel that we must, we must kneel and we must contemplate the cross and we must really repent of our sin again. And I was thinking, oh, I wonder what she's done this week. I'm fine. I haven't done anything this week, but she's clearly, um, she's clearly done something wrong this week. Um, but we had to kneel. I had to kneel there with her for hours and my knees were really hurting. And I was thinking, I just can't, I can't manufacture this. I can't, I can't tell myself that I'm more sinful than I am just so that I can <sighs> pretend in front of Jesus. I think sometimes it can, be, it can be a bit addictive, can't it? It can make you feel a bit better to really like get it all off your chest and feel better and sometimes that that feeling of um, pouring it all out you can you can come back and seek that week after week seek that that high of release in front of Jesus Um, and I think that we can overcomplicate it as well can't we we can overcomplicate it Um, when I was uh, living with this intense friend, um, we watched a Disney film together where the phrase, we are worms, came up. And she thought this was hilarious. And she used to say it to me and my other housemate all the time. We are worms. We are worms. And imagine our glee when we found this, that this is actually a phrase from the Bible. And imagine our delight when we heard somebody actually praying this in church. Oh, Lord, we are worms. We are worms before you, Lord. Um, <laughs> I think that sometimes we can we can lose uh, we can lose our focus a little bit, can't we? We can we can be so intent on proving that we know how sinful we are that we lose sight of the person who we really should be turning our eyes to. Um, I think that sometimes we can uh, get in the business of comparing as well. Like We like to compare our, our sins, don't we? We like to say, well, I'm not that sinful. Like, I, haven't, I haven't actually done very much wrong. I'm quite a good person, really. Um, and, so, and, and so maybe sometimes we feel a bit anxious about that. I haven't done very much wrong. I'm quite a good person. Maybe that means I don't love Jesus enough. Oh, I better make a long, long, long list of all of the things that I've done. Um, 
But when Jesus says, a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love, he's not actually taking a measure of how sinful we are. God isn't in the business of taking a measure of how sinful we are. God doesn't care whether you're a good person who's committed a little bit of a sin or a person who is completely at rock bottom and has no way out of your, your sin and your brokenness. God is not interested in taking a measure of where you are on the scale of sin. That is not what God is about. When Jesus says this, he's talking about how aware are we of our need for him? Do you know that you need him? Do you know that you want his friendship? Do you love him greatly because you know that you need him in your life? I think it's really important that we don't fall into a trap of thinking that we can make ourselves more acceptable to God because of our righteousness or because of our manufactured intensity before, because we fall on our knees and proclaim our sins very loudly in church every week. I think the question is, do you want Jesus' presence, his comfort, his guidance, his rule in your life? Then we just open our hearts to him, don't we? We take our eyes off ourselves and we look up to him because we know that he will come into your heart through the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit helps you see the wonder of Jesus, it stops mattering how you feel about yourself how big or small you feel your sins to be, how good or bad you feel yourself to be. When you turn your eyes to him, everything falls into place and you can come to him just as you are. So, in this passage, I think Jesus shows three qualities of friendship. I think he's available, he's kind, and he's compelling us to change. And I want to finish by sharing with you some testimonies from my life of times when I found Jesus to be available, when I found him to be kind, and when I found him to be compelling me to change. Because that's what he does here. That's how he shows friendship to both of these sinful people. Um, So uh, when I was uh, going through my notes with with Mark, um, I realized that avoiding the phrase, Jesus is physically available for prostitutes, is a really good phrase to avoid. So I'm not going to say that. But he is. He's physically available, isn't he? He's there, and he doesn't pull his feet away when when this sinful woman is is touching him. Um, I think it must have tickled. If someone was touching my feet, I'd be like, get off. Um, But Jesus doesn't pull away. Maybe that's because it was cultural, and he was used to people watching his feet and that was the custom but he doesn't pull away he's there and he and he's available um, and he goes to Simon's house doesn't he even though he must know that Simon is cold and calculating and waiting to trip him up he goes to Simon's house and isn't it interesting that the first time that we know Simon's name is when Jesus says it Jesus addresses him by name he's available in Simon's house addressing him by name and meeting Simon on his le- on his level as well Um, he engages with Simon and he has a conversation with him. I was thinking about a time when uh, Jesus has been really available for me in my life when I was uh, approaching him like Simon, cold and angry and calculating and wanting some answers. Um, 
I, when, I was, when I was much younger, I did a, a lot of uh, hiking with a, a youth group, and the youth leader was the most incredible man. He was one of my uh, role models. He was a mentor to me. He was an, he was an amazing person. Um, and he, uh, he phoned us up, and he said, I can't come to your wedding. I'm really, really sick. And I started crying, and I was like, you have, like, you have to be at my wedding. Like, I really, really want you to be at my wedding. And he said, fine, I'm, I'll get in the van, and I'll drive there. And I didn't realise he was really sick. He had leukaemia at the time, and I didn't know. Um, and he didn't know either at the time. Um, but he sat at our wedding, and during the worship, um, he hadn't been able to stand at all. He was, in, he was in absolute pain. And he said, during the worship, all the pain lifted from him, and he was able to stand. And, and he was a man who didn't believe in God. And at that point, he was like, I think I, think I might... I think I might believe in God. And I felt like that was like a, like a gift from God. God was like, this is my wedding present to you, the healing of this man and like his faith. Um, and uh, less than a year later, he died. He'd passed away. And I was, I was absolutely devastated. I, I, could not, I could not come to God with anything other than, than anger um, and, and questions. Um, I wanted some l- rational, logical answers. Um, but God was available for me. He was available and he was speaking clearly in that, in that time. Um, he said, trust me. Trust that I'm a good God and trust that I give good gifts and that that was my wedding gift to you and that he'll be there in heaven when you get there. Um, and isn't that amazing? Isn't that what Jesus does? Isn't that what Jesus does here? He doesn't try and correct Simon. He asks him a question. He asks him a, a challenge that just cuts right to the heart, that makes him feel something. Uh, Jesus is available for us. Um, he doesn't shy away from our grief. He's not scared of our anger. He's not going to pull away from us in tough times when we have tough questions. Uh, he, he stays close with us and he's available through all of the tough times, just as we heard this morning, through all the words that were brought during the worship. Uh, Secondly, Jesus is kind. He's so kind, isn't he, in this passage? He's so kind to that sinful woman. He knows what she needs to hear. She needs to hear that she's forgiven. He's so gracious and kind to her. She knows that she's accepted and loved. Um... And Jesus is so kind to Simon, isn't he? That Jesus takes the time to answer Simon's questions and answer his thoughts and speak to him. That's so kind. Um, I've been thinking of a time when Jesus was kind to me and kind in my life. And I can think of two really good examples. Um, When I was quite a new Christian, um, I was uh, in a church meeting and... Um, uh, all of the other students had gone home, so it was just me. I was working. I was the only one working, you know, sticking it out through working, not like these students. And I was, uh, I was praying, and I couldn't hear God for myself. I really wanted to hear God's voice, and I, and I said, Lord, I, I, I can't hear you, um, but I had a real sense of his peace, and that was the first time that I really felt the Holy Spirit on me, and I, I had a real sense of God's peace, um, and I said, Jesus, I just want to know that you're pleased with me. I, I just want to know that you're pleased. And uh, I, I couldn't hear I couldn't hear God's voice, I, but I felt really peaceful. And at the end of the meeting, um, a lady sitting behind me tapped me on the shoulder, and she's like, I feel God saying something to you. 
And I said, oh, really? And she said, it's not very interesting. It's a bit boring, really. God just wants you to know that he's pleased with you. And I fell apart. But isn't that kind? Isn't that so kind of Jesus that I couldn't hear him for myself? But he wanted me to know that. He wanted to answer my prayer and he wanted me to know. So he told somebody else so that I would know. I think that's just so kind. Um, And I think the other time that I really see God's kindness um, is is in baptism. Um, I had the absolute privilege of being there um, at my good friend Malia's baptism. And the kindness of Jesus was just all over her face. It was one of the most powerful, powerful things that I've ever seen that everything is washed away, everything is left behind, you're a new creation in him, and the, the kindness and the, the wonder of Jesus is just written all over, all over her face. So if I, I would really encourage you, if you haven't been baptised and you want to experience the kindness of God, uh, get baptised, and if you can get, you get to as many baptisms as possible, if you haven't seen the kindness of God recently, go and see someone get baptised as they wash everything away and are just overwhelmed with the kindness of God. Uh, And finally, Jesus compels us to change, doesn't he? Um, I don't know whether the sinful woman in this story goes back to live the same life. Maybe she's stuck. Maybe she owes a debt. Maybe she um, is uh, stuck with a man who's not treating her well. I don't know whether she goes back and lives the same life. But I like to think that she goes away changed. That in, in the face of Jesus' love and acceptance and forgiveness, that she goes away changed. Um, and I'd like to think that Simon the Pharisee goes away changed as well. Um, Jesus, Jesus doesn't leave him, does, doesn't let him get away with not giving him the, the courtesies of hospitality. Jesus challenges. He challenges him to think about his actions. He challenges him to grow. He challenges him through the story that he tells. Jesus doesn't leave us the same person as when he finds us, um, but he encourages us to, he compels us to grow. Um, On the cross, he said, it is finished. So his love and his acceptance and his forgiveness compels us to leave our shame there. We can't pray we are worms every week. We have to move into something new, to move into the good things he's prepared for us. Um, my testimony is that I found university really, really difficult. It was, it was so challenging. I was way over my head. Um, and I had a really horrible boyfriend as well. And I wasn't really sure how to get out of the relationship. I was really scared um, to break up with him. Uh, and so I was, like, I was in a really uh, not very healthy place at all. Where I was really, really struggling with my studies. I really didn't want to go back to university uh, for my third year. I could not for the life of me see a way out of this relationship with this horrible boy. I thought I was stuck with him for the rest of my life. It was really miserable, dark place. Um, and the Holy Spirit hit me on my bicycle as I was riding home over a bridge in the dark, 2009, February 2009, and I have not been the same person since. And I haven't been, I'm not the same person that I was five years ago or two years ago. The love of God just compels us to grow and to change. Um, I've not ceased to be amazed by his graciousness, his kindness, his patience, the wonder of our amazing friend Jesus so do you want his friendship 
It doesn't matter how you feel about yourself. He's here for you, and he's extending the hand of friendship to you today. Amen. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to worship our amazing friends, Jesus.